Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 421 for Sunday, October 21st, 2012. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, we provide some answers. You send in your tips, you send in your cool stuff found, we provide tips and cool stuff found of our own, and together we all learn a lot of new things each time we get together. This time, on a Sunday morning, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. And here, back in Durham, it's Pilot Pete. I made it. I actually made it to a show before Christmas. Uh, it happened. And, you know, it, it's great to have you here, Pete. I had Thank said you. last time that we had never had you here when we had the chat room, but uh, but you had been here once for the chat room. Right. I think it was like the second time that we had we had been doing the live stream. But uh, but I with that in mind, I do want to welcome everybody that uh, has joined us in the chat room at MacGeekab.com slash stream. We do that when we record it live. Of course, we do still record it. And that's why the, the rest of you get to hear it, too. But uh, but the chat room is a fun thing if you're up for that. Uh, and if you're not, that's okay too, but welcome to everybody in the chat room. All right, John, let's, uh, you know what, let's just, uh, let's get this one underway and, uh, I will apologize for the raspiness of my, my throat here. I've got something strange going on and, uh, and now I got something strange going on with my headphones, but that's fixed. So I got to figure out what I've done to myself with my throat. I think, I think that's what it comes down to. Uh, but I did see a tweet this week from John Trainer, who is actually the iOS engineer at uh, one of the iOS programmers at Netflix, but he uh, he posted a great thing with with iOS six. Those of us with dual core devices, so I believe the iPhone four S and the iPhone five have the ability to shoot in panoramic mode with the camera. And uh, and if you don't have that ability, actually, as an aside, you can use Microsoft's free Photosynth app, which in many ways I kind of like better than Apple's solution because it allows you a little more flexibility, but, uh, but you can use that with, with uh, previous gen iPhones, but either way, panoramic mode, uh, taking a photo in panoramic mode is a great way, as he says, uh, to have a whiteboard scanner. So you've got your, uh, you know, you, you go to a meeting or whatever, you've got all your stuff on your whiteboard and now you use the panoramic mode to get a big picture of, uh, of that whiteboard on the wall and save it for posterity and, and other reasons. Let me add an additional tip to that. And I might've heard it here. If, if I'm repeating it, I'm sorry, but uh, I was using the panoramic mode and I, I was going from left to right and I wanted to go right to left and I didn't know how to do it. Tap the screen. It goes from right to left. So that's right. You did you hear, hear that here. Okay. Yeah. Right. But that's, but, yeah. but no, a very relevant, uh, 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 redux of that, of that trip. Yeah. That's yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. So, all right, cool. Uh, John, you want to take the next one? Uh, hey, it's in front of me. Wow. I'm getting better at staging here. Yes. Soon you won't even talk about the fact that you're staging this stuff, but it, yeah. it happens in time. It's okay. Even a blind squirrel. That's right. <laughs> All right. From Joe. Hello there, Geek Gabbers. Like John, I have a time machine router. I do not use the time machine to back up. I prefer other methods. Unlike John, I do not have a Drobo. Is there a way to access the time machine hard drive and use it as just a hard drive, not as a time machine receptor? or receptacle, I think, uh, without putting it in another case. Thanks for the shows. And the answer is kind of. Well, the, the answer is yes, with the caveat. 
so basically, yes, you can do this. And, and from what I can gather, because when I had mine hooked up, I did this. I guess it's off by default. But the way to make this happen, so yes, the answer is you can make this uh, a shared network drive. And the way to do that is you run the airport utility, and I'm going to give uh, directions here for the new one, though the old one, I, I, I believe it's, it's similar. So what you want to do is first start up the airport utility, uh, and then when you, get, when you see the unit, itself, you click on that and then you get a bunch of menus that can configure various aspects of the device. And one of them, and the menu you want to go to is disks. And when you go there, you will see um, in one window, uh, the partitions window, you're going to see whatever hard drive or hard drives. I suppose in theory, you could do that if you hacked it, but uh, you, you will no. see the hard drive. Actually, what? you'll see hard drives that are attached via USB there too. Okay. All right. So we'll show you the air disks. Yes. What, what we're going to call air disks. That's right. Okay, but I'm just thinking in the back of my mind, why couldn't you hook up multiple drives? Of course, you, yeah, you, you can totally void your warranty. So, but I mean multiple physical drives. Oh, internally. SATA drives. Yeah, all right. Yeah. But anyways, moving on. So what he wants to do is he's going to see that time capsule disk in the partition section. And if he selects it and then checks the enable file sharing box, that's all you have to do. Yeah. I, I, um, go ahead. To add to that, though, there, there is a, there's another part of this, though, and, and you can do different levels of uh, so might as well go over the other options here because they are important. So one is how would you like people to be able to access that disk? And they have a, a, another section there saying sh secure shared disk. And you can determine how to manage access. Uh, there could be accounts, a disk password or a device password. Uh, you can use those. And then there's another box here, which you want to be careful how you set this, depending on what you're trying to do. But uh, there's another box that says share disk on WAN. What does that mean? Well, that means share it with potentially the entire Internet. Right. I don't have a shared disk with WAN, I, well, although I'm set to with device password. So maybe that's why. I think if you undid that, it'd give you if a chance I, to open it to the world. If I change it to with accounts, can I do share? Where are you seeing the shared disk with WAN thing, John? Oh, I don't see it right now. It's not in front of me. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Hmm. And you also have a, the probably the same time capsule I do. I do have the same time capsule you do. And I, I was actually going to ask you, I, I recently have been using it to share my Drobo, uh, my Drobo initial original, well, second gen Drobo, five bay Drobo, because it's USB uh, two uh, in addition to FireWire. So I have it USB two right into the thing and I share it just like we talked about here. But it seems like, and it may be coincidental, but it seems like since I did that maybe six months ago, the, airport the time capsule has been flaky um it, it it probably needs to be rebooted to restore full functionality once every couple of weeks and i was curious if you and i don't use it as a router it is only a um it, it's a, a wireless access point so i have it in bridge mode and then obviously it's also sharing its drive as a uh, which i do use for time machine backups and then the drobo that I use for other data storage just as an air disk. So have you been, have you had any trouble with yours recently, John or no? I'm not using it. So, all right. Well, that's, <laughs> Oh, but you're not, I thought you were using it for your, for the disk and to share the disk inside it. No, remember I told you I, I took the, the disk out of there. Oh, I thought you put another one in. I'm sorry. Okay. I did, right. but, but I decided not to, uh, but yeah, to leave it unplugged and to continue this experiment with the, uh, you know, with the mono, the the new uh, router here. Yeah, right, 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 right. So, 
But no, I sent you a link to an article. I'm posting, I mean, in the room here, I mean, the help says you should be seeing that box. Did you see, have, are you reading the article that I just... Um, <clears throat> I oh, there. yeah, John posted it. Uh, let's see, open the thing. It's, uh, this is, uh, it, it I mean, says... It does like, say share disks over WAN in step four, so I'm not sure why you're not seeing the... Wait, are you running, are you running Airport Utility 6? Yes. Oh, okay. It's I, like, I, click I no enable file sharing to allow users... Yep. Okay, I'm doing that. And then it says choose with accounts. Yes. So that's what it is, is as soon as I start adding accounts to this, then I can share it over the WAN. And that's smart. Oh, and I did, and I did password. Okay, so apparently you have to, you have to select a share, uh, secure, uh, option in that menu, and then the WAN port thing shows up. No, right? you have to select with accounts, not with a single password for the disk or device. And once you've got accounts, then it will let you share it over the WAN. But it, Apple's smart in that they're not letting you share it over the, the the wide, wide world of the Internet with a single password that everyone that would need access to the disk would oh. have to know. Seems easier if you wanted to do that. Just put it in the Dropbox public folder and share right. the link. <laughs> right. And, and that way you're not sharing the entire disk. You're yeah. just, you know, you can, yeah, you can limit. So that's good. Okay. Good. Okay. So, of course, the only caveat that I mentioned in the beginning. The only caveat is that it's going to be a network disk, a NAS. It's going to act like a network disk and not a yeah. directly connected disk. That would be the only reason that you'd want to. And, you know, as I demonstrated, as you know, if you can follow the directions from someone like iFixit, getting that drive out of there and putting it in another enclosure is uh, just like any other full-size SATA drive. So. Cool. All right. Well, now it is time to move on to JP. And JP says, I've had some strangeness after upgrading to Mountain Lion. The cursor arrow freezes in the upper left corner of the screen when boot completes. Like clockwork, three minutes later, the cursor becomes active. A new occurrence since updating to Mountain Lion, wired keyboard and mouse, 12 core Mac Pro with scads of RAM. I really don't want to nuke and pave. Can you help? So this is uh th this is odd. Obviously, it could be anything, uh, but but a good opportunity to talk about a little bit about troubleshooting. And as I started thinking about this, I thought, well, you know, you want to know what it's doing, but you can't interact with it. So how do we, you know, how do you get immediate access when the thing boots up to uh, to see what's going on? And with that, I thought, well, once the machine is responsive, go into uh, System preferences, accounts, login items, and add the console application to the, your login items. And then that way, console will will launch and you'll be able to see it there on your screen, even though you can't interact with it because you've already told it to launch ahead of time. And uh, you might be able to see something um, in in there that, that, you know, at least gives you some indication as to uh, what's, you know, what's going on. I, you know, uh, it's hard to say what uh, what might cause that. Um, Putch did send in or uh, he did send in some console logs and I, I haven't poured through them yet for him. And I will this uh, JP's a one of our premium members here. But uh, but it looks in it looks like there's some odd audio drivers um, in there saying uh it says uh, library audio plugins, Hal, and then it says DVC Pro HD audio dot plugin. And there's an error that says no matching architecture in universal wrapper. 
And so there's a lot of that going on. I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, so that it may be that you got to go. And when you see errors like that, they usually point to a file and the file will be slash and then a a folder name. So in this case, it's slash library slash audio slash plugins. Treat the slashes like new folders because that's what they are. So in this case, the first, if it starts with a slash, it means go up to the very top of your hard drive, not your user folder, but the top of your hard drive, and then navigate folder names as you see them after each slash. And that will get you down to where this file is. And, and in a case like this, move it out of the way, or, or if you know you don't need it, trash it, and then restart your computer and see what happens. So that's, uh, yeah. that's what I would do there. But, you know, that, that's how to read these console logs. We do talk about, you know, look in the console. Well, you know, look in the console can leave you with a uh, with a very, <laughs> a very convoluted, messy thing to pour through. And a lot of times you're not going to, uh, you know, you're not going to understand everything that you're seeing in this in this log. And and really, I can't imagine anyone would. But but you can sort of look through it and it's half written in semi English. So hopefully at some level understandable everything is marked with a timestamp here and that's handy so you can really see okay what's happening at which time and and maybe that mm. will maybe that will help i don't know i i also I see un- a thing i understand it all uh, yeah i also see a thing where it says uh deny that's why you're called a geek john <laughs> well that's right it's you know it says deny file read uh, and, and then it lists some things and he's got a flip for Mac uh, component in there and maybe that's causing the problems if it's trying to read from a file that it can't um, but, but it, the other thing I will say is in the console, uh, each application gets to decide how much data it's going to log to the console. And a lot of times developers will leave what I call informative data, but informative from a developer's point of view in their logging. And it's not just error data. So sometimes you will see things that are like info or warning style messages, as opposed to here's a real error and you don't want to overreact necessarily to what you see in the console log. Cause a lot of times you can see stuff and it's like, yeah, that listen, that's just how it is. And the developer knows it's okay, but they never took it out of the logs. Cause then they'd have to keep turning the logging on and off as they created builds for you versus builds for them to test. So it, it happens. Uh, so, you know, there you go. Sorry, John, you had, you had something to add. Well, a few things. So one, when you see that message, it talks about the wrong architecture. I think w- when I've seen that, that can indicate that what you're trying to load is old crusty power PC stuff. And it's like, whoa, whoa, no, can't do that anymore. Wrong architecture. Right. That's one case. So it sounds like the system may have some other cruft buried uh, in the depths, maybe from a, a upgrade. Yeah. Y- you know, um, I-, I was going to, I was going to wait a little bit to, to talk about this during our, our tips section, I think, I don't know. I, actually, I was going to talk about it next. So I, I'll talk about it next. Uh, speaking of cruft, I, you know, when, since I got my, even my iPhone 4S, the battery life on it was not anything that made me, you know, jump for joy, but it, it was doable. And then when I got iOS six, uh, well, I only had iOS six for a couple of days on the 4S. And then obviously I got the five and my battery life on this was terrible. And you know, I, I did a lot of things. One thing that I did that did seem to help, and I think I mentioned it here, was um, I went to settings, I went to general, I went to reset, and I did reset all settings. That resets all of your Apple application settings. So um, things like third-party apps, you know, you're not going to lose your scores in Infinity Blade or anything like that, but it will set all, will reset all the Apple settings. And 
having come from a backup of my iPhone 4S, which was came from a backup of my iPhone 4, which came from a backup of my iPhone 3GS, you know, that that's almost like the I want to do a uh, nuke and pave with migration assistant. Uh, it really is the the closest thing you're going to get to that on iOS because you can't do a fresh install and then just bring in your application data. You either get to restore from the entire backup or you don't. So so that helped. But uh, it still wasn't great. And I noticed, you know, it, it was it was crazy. You know, it was burning battery a lot. And it was especially after phone calls. It was really hot. And uh, and so I started going through and I. uh I, somebody, I think it was a listener actually tipped me to something that I couldn't find, but they said Adam angst from tidbits did a podcast early in September um, or middle of sometime in September about the iPhone battery. And it was like a six minute podcast. And I looked a little bit and I couldn't find it, but they did say something about what his technique was and his technique, the technique that he decided or that he advised was go into settings, go into general and then go into about and you got to dig a little deeper after about go to diagnostics and usage and uh, and turn on automatically send. And the reason you want to turn this on is because it then creates a log for you that can be very handy. And in fact, for me, it was hugely handy. Uh, if you're if you're on that screen and you have gone 24 hours and I think this log is created when you when you charge your device, when you plug it in. So. um so you got to turn this on and then and then go through a couple of charge cycles and then you'll get in that same screen. Come back here and uh, and you'll see at the bottom it says diagnostics and usage data. And this will exist for everybody. But there is a log that is only created, at least in my experience, if automatically send is checked. And that log starts with AWDD. And I think it is Apple wireless diagnostics data. I sent this through to us and I can't find where I, I found what it actually is. Um, yeah, it's, um, uh, there's a, there's a discussion on Apple's website where somebody talks. Yeah. Apple wire, Apple wireless diagnostic data. And what this does it, it, you want to talk about convoluted log files. This thing is long every day, really, really long, but you can, you, you know, like with anything, if you know what to look for, you can start to kind of make sense of, of, uh, uh of what, of what this is. And and so what I noticed in here was that there's a lot of things that say I turned on the Wi-Fi and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing clearly, uh, you know, or I I um, I I got a call and or I changed cell circuits and all of this stuff. And and it's uh, it's a long thing to scroll through. You can copy everything in here and then like email it to yourself so that you can look at it in a text editor and do some find and replace. But what I did notice was um, that it also tells you when apps um, cre create a, a connection that they want to do, um, they, they want to get their geolocation. They, they want to use location services, right? And you can certainly see that if you go to uh, getting back out, if you go to the top of the screen, you know, settings, privacy now in iOS 6, location services. You can look in there and see what apps have used location services in your last 24 hours. But this doesn't tell you how often they used it in the last 24 hours. And that turns out to be a very important piece of information because once is a lot different than, you know, once every 10 minutes. 
And and I looked in mine and I saw something that said, and, and this is where you want to search for when it says bundle ID, bundle ID equals. OK, and that tells you that a third party or some application asked for this data. And, and that's where it's handy to, to have, you know, to copy this data out and search for it. But you can easily see it. You know, you start scrolling through, you'll see it. And I saw Facebook, the app would, would ask for it occasionally, which makes sense because I would tell it to, you know, tag my location when I post something or, or whatever. But I was seeing a lot that said com.xvision.georing. And I'm like, what the heck is this? It, it had, I had no memory of what this was. And then I looked on my phone and, and the thing is I install a lot of apps on my phone and, uh, and GeoRing is an app that it doesn't even, is not even available anymore. Apple pulled it from the store for some reason, perhaps because it burned up your battery. Um, and what it does is it lets you have different ringtones based on your location and this, that, and the other, but it needs to know where you are all the time. And uh, and it was polling. I had not launched it. I know I had not launched this app since iOS six came out and uh, I probably hadn't launched it since iOS five came out. And I just installed it years ago because somebody said you should check this out. It sounds like a cool thing because it is, a you know, in theory, it's kind of a cool thing where you can set rings or, you know, if you're at, at, at work or at a meeting or whatever, you can have it so that it always silences and that sort of thing. It's a you know, it was a cool concept. But um, but I saw that, you know, constant entries for com.xvision.georing. And, and finally, I found this app on my phone, even though I'd never launched it. This app was asking for my location constantly. And so I deleted the app from my phone and it went away. And my battery life, you know, at the end of the day, I used to be at like 20 percent. Now I'm at like 50 percent. It made a huge difference. And I never would have figured this out if I hadn't gone through that AWDD log. So. So there you go. That's the, uh, okay. that's, that's, cool. that's my, that's my advice for you. Yeah. I had something similar and then I'll wind back to the actual question, but, uh, but, but I think I had this on the phone and I think now you can pretty much avoid that because there was one app that I installed, uh, it was like some, you know, community alert monitoring thing. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That sounds interesting. And put it in there. And then all of a sudden, even though, yeah, I think it was similar is it ran location services, even when it wasn't running. And I'm like, what is it doing? And I think like this software created a little background process that was constantly, but, but I could see the indicator in the menu bar, right? The little, uh, kind of compass needle thing saying, Hey, somebody's using location services. And I even wrote them saying, you know, I'm not even running you. Why are you doing this? And, uh, I guess it was to give you location relevant stuff, but uh, yeah, like you point out that takes up, uh, bandwidth and battery of course i find that's the thing that sucks it down on my phone the most is when i'm running 3g i try to do wi-fi when i can sure it helps yeah well what what fascinated me about this was that it the app was active and doing its background thing even though i had never ever launched it that that was really hmm. weird to me was that wait you know i thought well i thought you'd have to at least launch it and tell it i maybe i had launched it once years ago uh, you know i think i did it because otherwise it wouldn't been able to use location services I, i'm sure i i agreed to let it do that at, at some point but i mean i i certainly had rebooted my phone many many times and even gotten a new phone and had never launched it on my new phone and yet there was this background process constantly uh, active so skype is going to be the same way i did notice that that skype will sit in the background. If you leave it logged in, even if you reboot your phone, it still fires up once you, uh, 
you know, even if you don't launch Skype, it fires itself up at some level in the background and, and asks for the, this information and these services. So it's just, you know, and, and push notifications. That's the other one. If apps receive push notifications, whether they display them to you or not, based on your settings, they still receive them. And that can cause, you know, as, as your phone has to wake up to receive the notification, that too can cause things. So perhaps the meta lesson here is, and, and I hate to say this because I have tons of apps and I, I have trouble getting rid of them, but prune your apps down to the ones that you need and your battery life will probably get better. So was there more right. on, uh, on JP's question here, John? Oh, last, uh, what you may want to do as part of the general diagnosing a startup issue process would be either to start up in verbose mode or single user mode. Uh, single user mode has so we're, we're back to actually to fix some things. We're back to JP. Yes. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on your map. Well, you asked me. No, I did. I just didn't know if we were didn't know where we were going. Oh, I know where we're going. Good. Cool. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you at some point. All right. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the last two, and then, you know, we'll link to an article that tells you about that as well. But uh, verbose, though, though it sounds like it's happening later in the process where you probably won't see anything strange in, in, uh, in those modes, but you may. Yeah. Cool. You're going to take us to uh, the land of Keith here, John? Yes, I am. All right, so, go. Keith says, I run Parallels on my 17-inch 8 gigabyte 2.66 gigahertz Intel Core 2, <laughs> Core 2 Duo MacBook Pro. Cool. I use Sophos, the free version that uh, we had mentioned, or I guess uh, of everybody on the staff, I'm the only one that likes or... <laughs> doesn't hate <laughs> is the uh, Sophos uh, the, specifically the Sophos antivirus for Mac home edition. Uh, so he's running that. And then he says, I use AVG free, which I have not used for antivirus protection on windows seven running under the latest parallels, which is kind of timely because I just activated the latest uh, version of parallels. Cool. Uh, there was a show I went to recently. They were handing out codes for now, I guess, parallel six. So I'm like, Oh, cool. It's a nice environment. Uh, I've been using this setup for a while, but I have noticed that my machine seems to be running slower now. Um, I'm not sure which machine. I guess he's talking about the Mac side. So I know it is not advisable to run two antivirus programs at the same time. I have assumed that since AVG is running under Windows and Sophos is running on OS 10, there should be no clash. Is this correct? And if I turn off AVG, would the Sophos scan a parallels PVM file be sufficient for antivirus protection? So to answer those, um, yeah, I think he's correct. In well, in any one environment, you certainly don't want to run, be running two antivirus programs, um, right? But no, the way he has it set up right now is fine, and actually, that's what I've done traditionally. Um, is I'll have one on the Mac side, and I guess the 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 thought here is that the at least the Sophos product, and I think most of the others can identify not only um, Mac, I don't even know if they're Mac viruses, uh, but malware, so bad, bad things on the Mac side, but they also, or at least I've noticed with Sophos, the, what it identifies on my end is Windows-specific things in email, uh, typically stuff that's in my junk folder. It'll say, hey, there's, a, there's an attachment here that has a, that'll damage a Windows system, but not a, uh, not a Mac system. So I think that's where the thought process started, and it's a reasonable process. The, the only thing I found is that it, uh, if I tried to run the Sophos and scan the Parallels.pvm file, which is their version of the virtual machine, I think PVM is Parallels Virtual Machine, and different vendors have different suffixes that contain their uh, their hard drive data or the, the virtual environment, you know, including the hard drive. Um, 
The thing is, when I when I tried it, the Sophos, I mean, it looked at that file and it almost immediately finished. So it couldn't have possibly been scanning everything because I think I have like a 20 gigabyte virtual drive. So my answer is no, that uh, setting it up like that would not provide you. Uh, even even if you did, the thing is scanning, it, it's a little different because they, they both do what I'll call active stuff. So just doing a passive scan, I, I wouldn't do either. You really want a product, in my opinion. That, that is doing active stuff. So the way I have it set it up right now is, is the way I would do it. The only thing I mentioned to him is that I use Clam AV on the Windows side. Um, I have no experience with AVG, but I think Clam is a regularly maintained product and uh, has the latest definitions. And I've heard people favor it over their other, other solutions, or at least free solutions on the Mac side. I'm sorry, on the Windows side, because it does uh, keep up to date where some may actually lag. Yeah, what? I I used AVG uh, quite a bit on the Windows side and and have uh, set that up for a lot of people and it it works it works great it's you know it's um I, I'm I'm the opposite of you I know about Clam we've used it on the Linux side uh, for some email scanning and that sort of thing but uh, but by and large I haven't used Clam in a desktop environment but uh, but yeah I, I think either, I think either one of them is going to work out just fine. Yeah, and I still seem to be the only person on our staff blessed with with no problems with with Sophos. Yeah, stay away from Sophos, man. That's that's bad. I'm news. still using it. I know, I know, I know. You, you but you, you know, I, what I want to do help, to help quantify this discussion, though, and uh, I had not seen any problems here, but it, it concerned me in that the uh, the message from Keith here said, uh, "I've been using this setup for a while, but I have noticed that my machine seems to be running slower." Yeah, because he's running Sophos. No, (laughs) let me talk. No, what I'm saying is that a statement like that could use, uh, I'll be diplomatic, a a statement like that could use a bit more uh, detail. Because when he's saying my system seems to be running slower, uh, telling us what is running. You know what I'm saying here, Dave? I do, yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you're getting... You know, is your cursor response slow? Is your hard drive? Is your network access? So, what, what, so when you talk about a slowdown, you yep. know, try, try to, to quantify it for us. Now, one thing you could do, and I think that this is what you had done, Dave, or others who are concerned about any virus, is you go into Activity Monitor and you see if anybody's chomping on the CPU or you run something like iStat menus to, right. you know, just get a general sense of what's happening here. So, so for example, that could have been one you know, a data point that could help us here determine, you know, is it the antivirus that's causing this? And uh, I think, you know, like in the case of Sophos, they have a process called intercheck is the one that I often see come up from time to time. And that does slow things down at times. Yeah. Uh, or if you're not set up properly, it does. And and same sort of thing with any other antivirus is, uh, or, or just if you have a slowdown problem, you know, it, it, it could be because your machine's swapping, you don't have enough RAM, or it could be something like Sophos or other antivirus chump in your, your processor. Yeah. Or hard Indeed. drive, and that's all I got to, and that's what I got to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, one thing that's interesting right now is in, and I believe this is new in Mountain Lion, a little troubleshooting tip in terms of, especially figuring out, figuring out if something is, is beating on the drive. Uh, Activity Monitor has these five, Apple calls them tabs at the bottom, I call them buttons, uh, but the, the middle one, disk activity, has always been there, and it tells you... Uh, the current data read and data write uh, rates in, in per second increments. And you can kind of look at these and get a benchmark for what they should normally be. In theory, they should normally be 
relatively low. You don't want your system constantly writing to or reading from the drive. It's going to happen occasionally, obviously. But uh, but if you see it, you know, constantly happening, that's bad. Moving over to system memory, we can diagnose a little bit better. John, you said you want to make sure that your system is not swapping. And by that, he means sending data that should be in RAM out to the disk as virtual memory because it needs to make room. And in system memory, we've always had page ins and page outs. And, and uh, longtime listeners will know that we've talked about it. You can ignore page ins for the most part. That number is is uh, not really relevant or problematic or indi in indicative of a problem. But page outs is. Uh, and if you see lots of page outs, that can be a real uh, indicator that you don't have enough RAM. Well, now they've added that bytes per second uh, um, measure right here to system memory for page ins and, of course, more importantly, page outs. So you can see not only how many page outs you've had in the past, but what it is doing at that moment in time. And if you see that that number really is anything higher than zero at a sustained rate, uh, you know that your system is very, very busy saving stuff out to the disk. And and that, uh, you know, I, I stumbled onto that just this week and it was like, oh, that's really handy. And I think it's new in Mountain Lion. I, I certainly know that, that it hasn't always been there. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't there in Lion either. So handy little tip, you know, John. It's good stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yavo. All right. Uh, I do want to talk about our uh, sponsor here. And our sponsor, first sponsor for this show is BB Edit from Barebones Software. We talked about, uh, in fact, just in the thing where we were talking about saving your, or uh, checking out your iPhone battery life uh, and going through that file, that AWDD log, BB Edit would be a fantastic program to do that. You paste the file, uh, the paste the contents of that into BB Edit, and now you can do a find for bundle ID and it'll find all of them and you can kind of look through very, very easily. Of course, that's a very rudimentary use of a program like this, but it is one that I use all the time. I I rarely am sitting at a Mac where BB Edit is not running, and I'm not doing programming every day. I just use it as a, a sort of a catch-all place to do all these little things with text because it's just so handy uh, to do everything. And uh, and so searching obviously is one of those things. Sorting text. If you ever have a list of uh, things that you need to alphabetize, BB Edit will do it. You just paste it in. You go to the. Uh, I never get it right because I I uh, I don't even think about it anymore. But you go to I believe it is the text menu and you use sort lines, and uh, and you get a couple of options of how you want to sort the lines, and then you choose to sort. You can sort using a pattern, so you can actually get crazy if you're willing to build a a, a regular expression pattern to to base your sort upon. Uh, you can then have it uh, sort the lines to the you can have it paste them to the clipboard, which is really, really handy if you're doing what I was saying and just coming in uh, and doing that. And you can have the lines add to the selection, replace the selection, go to a new document. You can do a reverse sort, of course. Um, you can ignore leading white space. So, you know, that that's just one of the. So now we've talked about a couple of things that you can do with finding and sorting. You can actually do multi file finds. So if you have a folder of text files that. Uh, you want to sort search through all of them to find where, you know, something might be mentioned. You can do that. Uh, you can go, you go to the search menu and, uh, and you can do a multi-file search. And uh, it, that it's one of the handiest things uh, I've done. And actually you can do a multi-file replace too. So you can have it go all the way through 
and replace things. So some of those day-to-day seemingly mundane tasks that BB Edit can make a whole lot faster and a whole lot quicker for you. Uh, check it out at barebones.com. Uh, it's available either directly from Barebones or you can, uh, you can of course, buy it in the Mac App Store. But uh, the version, uh, it's $49.99 either way. Um, and, uh, and then you can install some command line tools, too, to, to be able to do some, some BB Edit processing right from the terminal if you are so inclined. So that's BB Edit from Barebones Software. And, uh, and with that, John, I think we move on to Steven. Yeah? You think so? I thought so. Are we ready for Steven? <laughs> I was mesmerized by your... Uh... Here we go. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, you, you start, right? I start with Steven. Oh, okay. All right. I'll start with Steven. I thought, I thought it was one of yours. I had it, I had it flagged as yours, but... Uh, but oh, you will... did? Yeah, oh, but yeah, I'll yeah. take it. Here we go. Yeah, go. Okay. From Steven. Guys, I've recently ordered eight gigabytes to four gigabytes of RAM from Crucial. I'm currently running on four gigabytes to two gigabytes. At the moment, and wanted to benchmark my IMAX performance from current configuration to new configuration. What would be the best way to do this? And I think uh, Dave, you were the first one that had a had a good solution, and I had not used so. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay, so that's right. You had answered this too, so that's why I'd gone back and forth on it. So yeah, I use Geekbench, um, which is from PrimateLabs.com, and and the reason uh, I use Geekbench is. It's cross-platform. You can actually run Geekbench not only on your Mac, but on Windows and on iOS, and I think even on Android. And it's kind of cool to be able to, you know, especially nowadays where, you know, your your iPhone might be more powerful than an older Mac you have, you know. Uh, it's cool to be able to kind of see that everything on a level playing field, if you will. Um, and, of course, this isn't – the Geekbench is just doing raw – horsepower and graphics test. It's not doing real world. How long does it take me to do X test? Cause you just kind of have to do those on your own. But, um, but as far as horsepower and, and testing all that stuff, uh, yeah, yeah. I like Geekbench. So uh, we'll put a link to that in the, in the show notes, John, and then, what do you and use? then one that I found, well, I found one thing that led me to finding another thing. All right. So, so the one that I use is something called Xbench. Okay. And I, from what I can see, it's Mac only, but it's been around forever. And I just tried running it. So, so this will do some very, uh, some high level tests. So it'll do disk performance. I believe it uses different uh, block sizes, um, you know, to give you two, two lenses, uh, one with small and one with large. Uh, memory tests. I think it does some processor tests and also graphic tests. So it does those four tests. I, I believe they maintain a database of uh, results other people had. But uh, and it's free. You know, the price is right. Yeah, that's cool. Now, it's it's funny because I think it may be showing its age here because so I ran it on my mountain lion machine and it got stuck on one of the performance tests, multi-threaded performance tests. Um, but I ran it without doing that we, by just doing the RAM and the disk tests and, and it seemed to get past that fine. So that's one tool. You know, it's very high level, but it'll give you a you know, relative um measure of the increase in performance or the difference in performance between the two machines. Now, what happened is when this happened, I tried it again, Dave, and apparently Mountain Lion has a new um, uh, kernel panic screen. (laughs) Really? So I think what happened is I launched it and it kept bouncing. And then I think I tried to force quit. And then the weirdest thing happened. So I heard my DVD drive cycle. And then all of a sudden the screen 
You know the one you normally see, which normally paints itself from the top of the screen down to the bottom, which I call the kernel of panic screen, and says, you know, a yeah. problem has occurred, your system will be restarting, and says it in multiple languages. The one on Mountain Line is definitely different. Huh. As is the screen that you see when you do uh, uh, on Hibernate. That's another the subtle difference. But so what happened is it came up with that screen, then it said... Just hang on a sec. I'm going to restart, okay? And then when it got into part of the restart cycle, it said, oh, by the way, do you want to open all the applications that were open before you crashed? Yeah. So it's definitely a different process. And I think huh. they put that extra step in there just to, to help you uh, obviously prevent <laughs> launching the, the app that caused the problem in the first place to, to launch again. So that was kind of interesting that it was a different thing. Then it came up with the traditional, would you like to send your report to Apple? And here's the details of the bad thing that happened. And looking into it, it was funny because it wasn't this program that caused the problem. It, it was some other, uh, I think it had something to do with file access um, module. So huh. I don't know why it happened. So uh, just just be careful with XBench. Again, the, the last update they made was 2006. So, oh, yeah. uh, so maybe just stick to the RAM tests. Uh, and maybe the hard drive tests, but be careful on those other tests. All right. And that's what I've used for Mac only stuff. But, you know, I, and I, th and I think Geekbench is also, uh, you got to, you got to throw them a few bucks. Uh, is that it. right? I, um, I thought, I, thought I think, I think the Mac version, I thought the Mac version was free, but, uh, but the, the iPhone version was not, but I don't know, maybe not. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Geekbench, Geekbench two for the Mac is 13 bucks. That's right. That's right. Yavo. All right. Uh, let's move on to Felix. And uh, Felix had, he actually had kind of a fun one. Uh, Felix writes, is there a way that you can think of to unmount a drive or volume at startup? I have a clone of a system drive on a partition of a drive on two of my machines, and I would like to have them unmounted if I am not using them. I remember in a show a while back, there was somebody who figured out a way to have a script triggered by a drive mounting and then use that to unmount the drive. I remember Dave being particularly impressed by this, as was I, but I can't remember exactly how it was done. So if you want to unmount something at startup or login, and I'm, I'm actually in the same boat as you because I have an internal drive in my iMac and one partition on it uh, is the clone that I have of the SSD that's in the iMac. And, and I don't like that uh, for all the reasons we've talked about why you don't want to have your clone mounted all the time. You don't want spotlight running on it and, and this, that, this and that sort of thing. So, um, so I started thinking about it and there is a terminal command and we're going to have an article up on the site about this. So we'll talk through this and then, uh, and then we'll post a link to the article, which I think uh, Jim will hopefully put up on Monday. And uh, and the terminal command is is you're going to use the disk util command. You don't want to use the Unix umount command. Actually, Apple recommends against it that it might not always work in the way that you want it to. So you use disk util space unmount and then path to the volume. So you know if it's uh, if the name of the disk is hard disk, you say slash volume slash hard disk, and that will unmount it. And uh, it works from the terminal. So that's good. So now we know how to do it from the terminal. Now we can take anything that we can do in the terminal. We can do with AppleScript. You can also do it with Automator, but uh, but AppleScript uh, is almost as simple and perhaps a little more efficient. I'm not sure. Uh, but in AppleScript, you run the uh, you run the the script editor, uh, the, the AppleScript editor um, thing program. I call it. <laughs> And you type do shell script quote, and then you put your shell script there end quote, and that does it. That's it. You save that. The best thing to do is to save that as an application. 
Um, and then once you save uh, the application, you then tell it to uh, you add that application like you would any other application to your login items. And it'll fire up as one of your login items and unmount the drive. And it totally works. It, uh, you know, I, this is one of those things I needed to do. And when Felix asked about it, I thought, all right, well, this is a perfect opportunity to not only solve it for all of you and for Felix, but hey, I get I get the benefit of of uh, of doing it for myself and I have it running and it works great. The only issue if you do that in Apple script is if the disk for whatever reason is not mounted, uh, it will error out. Now, the chances of that happening on my iMac are very slim because the disk is internal. So if it's not mounted, actually, I kind of want to know because it tells me I got a bigger problem and I might want to know about that. But uh, there is a way to have Apple script not error out uh, if you if you're going to have it perform an operation that might fail. And that is that you wrap it uh, by by wrap. I mean, you put a, 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 a conditional before and after it. So instead of just having the one line Apple script that says do shell script and then this thing, you have uh, a line. You have a three line Apple script. And the first line is try just try. Then the second line is your do shell script. And then the, the third line is end try. So you're essentially saying try this series of operations, which is just one operation and then end it. And it's either going to succeed or fail, but we're not going to end the script and error out if it does fail, because we know that it might. And so if you wrap it in the, in the tries, then you're good to go. And, and it makes it a little more robust. So, um, that, uh, that's, that's how it works. And like I said, we'll put a thing up uh, on the site with some screenshots so you can kind of walk yourself through this and make your own Apple script. But, uh, but it's pretty straightforward. Apple script is a lot of fun. I spent a lot of time in Apple script this week, John, writing a thing to take pictures off the big camera and auto compress them and then upload them for our live coverage. Cause I got to fly out to, uh, well, to San Jose, uh, for the event on Tuesday. So I, it was, it came at a perfect time. Cause I was already thinking San Jose. Yeah, really? Me too. Yeah. The funny thing is Pete's going to be in San Jose on Monday night and we might actually be on the same flight, the same hotel, uh, same yeah. hotel and everything. Yeah, this is not good. Actually. Yeah, I got to be up and, and functional on Tuesday morning. You, you you'll know. be fine. There's no breathalyzer requirement to get into the Jeez. show hall. Is there? <laughs> That's what I'm worried about. That's right. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's the uh, first time we've traveled and been in the same yeah, place. Cross paths. Yeah. yeah, cross paths elsewhere. So, um, but uh, so yeah, so that was that was my AppleScript fun for the week. So, do you do stuff in AppleScript, John, or anything to add to Felix's question? Any another way of solving that? Because I'm, I'm sure there are there are there are plenty. Um, I think at one point I put some, uh, automator, I think has, yeah. has similar functionality in there. So I think, yeah, at one point I, I created an automator action that would do, uh, and put it in the login items and it would do an unmount. So very similar, mm -hmm. but, uh, but last I checked automator has that level of granularity, I think in the finder category. To do I, for yeah, they've got so. a, well, they've got a, 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 a terminal, you know, issue terminal command. I forget, I forget what the action is called in automator, but it's very, very similar. Um, and, and I, 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 I always feel like doing it in AppleScript is more efficient than Automator if I can get away with it. Uh, it's certainly more controllable, uh, but I'm not sure that it's any faster. Uh, I should actually actually ask Sal about that. Uh, Sal, so go in and see what uh, what he says about Automator versus AppleScript. Once once the scripts are written as apps, are they is one more efficient than the other? Doing the same thing. So. All right, where are we on time here? I want to make sure we don't miss out on. Uh, well, there's not much to miss out on. We just keep on trucking here. Time to go to Jeremy, I guess. And Jeremy 
Well, Jeremy says. Hi, John and Dave. It's Jeremy from the UK here with a problem with iCloud and my iPad insofar as it just will not sync. I've got four spreadsheets in numbers on my iPad, all of which got the little arrow in the top right-hand corner um, pointing upwards, which clearly seems to indicate that they're not syncing. Uh, by contrast, numbers on my MacBook Pro and on the iCloud website showing some 34 documents. Um, it's the same for Pages and for Keynote. Um, I also use Byword and it shows um, one document in iCloud on my iPad, but there are 15 Byword text files in iCloud according to my MacBook Pro. Um, it used to work okay uh, before I switched to or before I upgraded to Mountain Lion, although to be honest, I don't really think that's the issue because I wasn't really using iWork on iCloud before that. Um, iPad and iPhone and iOS are both up to date um, with iOS 6. Documents and data are switched on. Um, in fact, I, I switched it off um, in, a, in an attempt to sort of reload uh, or to reinstall uh, uh, iCloud on my iPad and um, all the documents duly disappeared off my iPad as I expected and when I tried to reload them or when I re switched documents back on again it said that iCloud was unavailable and it remains unavailable some 24 hours later so I suspect that the issue all along is that according to my iPad iCloud is unavailable and I'm not really sure about how to go about troubleshooting that i've checked my account settings and they all seem to be okay i really would appreciate your help chaps i'm sure you'll deliver as you always do thanks very much all right jeremy um so the, the icloud's an interesting thing you know um apple as they always do they do their best to hide all of the nitty-gritty from us and just give us a um sort of a, a simple display that we can manage this stuff from. But of course, when it's not working, that makes it very, very interesting because we can't easily get nitty gritty with it. So the, the first thing to do is, uh, well, really the first thing to do is make sure you're signed into the same iCloud account. I, I know that sounds very obvious, but if you're seeing different sync data on one side versus another, well, if you're on two different iCloud accounts, that would obviously explain why my guess is that you've already done that being that you've kind of dug into the settings pretty deeply, but Hey, it's worth a mention. Um, where he's talking about documents and data, just so you can follow along at home is if you go into the settings app on iOS and go into iCloud, uh, there is a section in there called documents and data. It's uh, for me, it's second from the bottom and that's where you can turn um, whether or not it's thinking, syncing, documents and data from applications uh, amongst your, your uh, devices. You can also set here whether mail is on with iCloud contacts, calendars, and that sort of thing. I would make sure, and it sounds like right now it's not, that uh, I would make sure that your con before you worry about third-party data, make sure your contacts and your calendars and the other things that you want to sync with iCloud are syncing. Um, and if you have a problem with that, 
the first thing I would do, uh, especially in your situation, Jeremy, is I would remove the uh, iCloud account entirely from your iPad uh, and and then restart the iPad and then come back in and add the iCloud account. And again, you know, just focus on making sure you get some contacts or your Safari bookmarks or something happening. So you know that you've got some connection there. Documents and data are a totally separate thing. And in fact, each component of iCloud is managed separately, but you want to make sure you're at least authenticating there and that it's working right. Uh, as uh, you know, at third party documents and data with your, your byword stuff, that's about the most difficult thing that we've seen with iCloud and the most fraught with problems. And it's nothing new. And this is unfortunate. We all kind of hope that iCloud would see this, make it get better. But with mobile me, we saw the same thing. And, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of bare bones, Yojimbo. They had um, finally figured out how to get Yojimbo to sync with mobile me and it, but it was never fully reliable, at least not for me. It always was kind of, you know, this tenuous setup that needed to be reset semi-regularly. And obviously they're having a lot of trouble with iCloud because they don't even have a version of Yojimbo out for the public yet that uh, that has iCloud syncing working properly. So it's not easy. And with that, I would say if you do have a piece of third party software that you want to sync amongst your devices, see if they have an option to use Dropbox, because my experience is that Dropbox has worked way better. Uh, I use it for syncing my one password stuff my text expander stuff and it just works. Um, it's probably because it's very easy for developers. All you're doing is saving a file. So there's no weird APIs to think about. You're just saving and reading from uh, a file and that makes life a whole lot easier for developers and byword as it turns out does allow Dropbox syncing. So that may, that may solve your byword problem. Of course it doesn't solve your, your iCloud problem. So, uh, so that's that's uh, the, the one last thing. If you are having problem with application data on it um, on your Mac, you can actually go into system preferences, uh, iCloud and manage. And then you'll see each application that's syncing listed out there and you can click on it and you can delete uh, specific pieces of information from the app. Uh, depending on how the app has classified what it's storing or all of the apps inf information from the cloud, then that will force it to sort of resync and go through all this stuff. It's still really messy under the hood. So sometimes a delete is, is necessary. So that's what I got on that one. What do you got, John? Anything? Um, I think you may have mentioned it though. I may, I, I may have zoned out for a bit here. Right. But, um, it's always good to re, uh, re restate settings iCloud documents and, or no, I'm sorry, storage and backup. And then there's a manage storage button, which actually I think shows pretty much the same as what you just mentioned, but on the Mac side. So I guess um, that's a place to look to see, or at least what I'm seeing on that screen on my iPhone is that it's showing me documents, specifically documents and data. That yes, stored in iCloud. That, that's right. That, no, that's a very good point. Yeah. That's, that's where you would manage that from the, from the iOS side. Yeah. And I didn't even know actually show it's showing that I has a uh, document saved from text edit, but also pages. Oh, I didn't realize I uh, had run pages lately. <laughs> and then it shows my mail and then the two devices that I have, um, uh, two handheld devices that I have uh, talking to the cloud in addition to the computer. Yeah. Okay. And then I think there was another button or I think you mentioned this one, but at the, Oh no. Okay. So there's documents and data and yeah, just make sure those are on, of course. Right. 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 It sounds like, yeah, oh, he, he mentioned that already. So he did. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I gotta say I'm not doing I'm not doing a lot with iCloud. I, I'm with you with that. Uh, you know, Dropbox or any of the others are uh, uh, trusted and have clients for the iDevice. I believe SugarSync does. Dropbox, pretty much anybody that makes a cloud service. Yavo. Yeah, it's too bad. I I'm not. I get what Apple thinks they're trying to do, but I don't think they're doing it. Well, they've never done the cloud well in terms of this type of, of cloud. They, uh, you know, calendar stuff. I mean, they, you know, they pioneered CalDev and made that work. You know, so mm-hmm. um, they get that right. IMAP, uh, not their standard, obviously, but but they use it and it works great, you know, for, for iCloud Mail. Um, so I, I just, you know, but this whole documents thing, they're trying to, I don't know. Anyway, time to move on to Brent. I think there's a good one to, to wrap things up with, or it has a lot of, lot of things we can touch on here. All right. So we'll probably have some Brent. cool stuff found after this, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, I hope so. All right. So from Brent, you're John and Dave. I have an interesting network issue that has happened very recently. Comcast is my ISP. I have my cable modem, uh, Doxus 3.0, plugged into my latest generation Apple Airport Extreme. My iMac is wired to the router, and I have an older Airport Extreme downstairs in bridge mode. Okay. So the problem, first some history. My advertised speeds are 50 megabits per second down and take 10 megabits up. Well, uh, That's what I get here. I was get, yeah, I, I, I think I could upgrade to that. My, 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 my uh, connection, I think, is 15.2. Yeah. So uh, maybe I'll do that someday. They've been getting better, though. I think it's, it's cooling off and the cables are uh, getting cooler. And so That's they good. Trying to move faster, right? <laughs> All right. My fiance recently started to work for Comcast and we switched from my account to the Comcast courtesy service for employees. Uh, they were supposed to have just switched the names, et cetera, on the account and everything else was, was the same. Um, the problem is starting a little while ago, I noticed my connection was at a crawl, something like 0.36 megabits per second down on 0.04 up. Oh, that's clearly unacceptable. On any device in the house. Okay, that's an interesting facet, including an iPhone, iPad, PS3, Wii. Uh, I use OpenDNS and tried different DNSs, and that didn't really have uh, any effect. Um, The next morning, after waking the Mac from sleep, back to a crawl, restarted the iMac, back up to 50 megabits per second down, etc. The Mac loses the seat, wakes up, slow speeds. All right, so I think we see the pattern you, here. You missed you missed one critical thing. His 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 message was a little scattered. Uh, you you almost read it verbatim, actually. Uh, but uh, but you missed one thing where he said. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Power I, cycled pa- the modem. He power right. cycled the modem and got faster speeds at least temporarily. Uh, then he power cycled his iMac and got better speeds on that. So that it, it interesting is really what it is. It it's a moving target is what it is, and that's frustrating. But yes, we'll call it interesting. All right, because it sounds like, yeah. So the two things he did that temporarily solved the problem, one was restarting the cable modem. Yeah. And one was restarting the iMac. Okay. All right. No, that's a very good point because yeah, that, that makes this a, a bit more difficult. But. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been going on. Comcast says everything looks fine on their end, which, yeah, I guess you got to trust them on that. And uh, I'm not in a position to yell at them for the reason I mentioned above, but I'm at wit's end. Can you guys think of anything I can do on my end? Boy, can we. And so I had a laundry list here because I figured I might as well try everything. But no, I'm, I'm going to give you the, the things that I would try because it's not clear to me based on what was said, if it's a problem with the cable modem or a problem with the Mac. I'm, uh, I'm going to put my bet on the Mac, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through a few steps here and then maybe, maybe I'll explain why I'm leaning towards it being an issue on the Mac. Okay. 
or, or close to the Mac. All right. So the first thing I would check is ju just double check your uh, the, the way you have your, your network set up. And of course, to do that, you go into your uh, system preferences, network. And th this may be a matter of opinion, Dave, but the way I have my systems set up is yes. that so on the, what you're going to see on the left side of the screen is all of the network interfaces that your uh, machine is aware of. Then you're, but what you're also going to see is below each one is going to be a status. And uh, if everything's happy, there'll be a little green light next to it. Then they'll say connected. Um, and the other state it could be in which I have all of my, uh, now you may also see more than one interface listed here. Personally, I don't like doing that because it could introduce weirdness, like possibly what we're seeing here. So one thing I could suggest as a thing to try. Now, the thing is you, you can set up different locations uh, network locations, and you're going to see this. You should see it on the top of the screen. It'll say location. Like, for example, I have one called home wired, one called home wireless, and one called Wi-Fi. And you can edit locations. What I'd like to do is to have a location, each location have a single interface defined or, or active and make all the other ones inactive because I don't want them fighting with each other. So there may be reasons you want to have more than one active. So th right. that was the first thing I suggested. And then... So one thing you may want to try to turn them all off except one. So just stick to the wired connection. The other thing you want to do, and this could affect performance, uh, if you choose to have multiple ones in multiple ones in there, the question may uh, the question may come up. Well, which one has priority? How do you know this? Well, there's the little gear menu uh, underneath all the interfaces, and if you click on that, there will be a set service order dot 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 choice. If you do that, it will list all of the interfaces, and you can then choose which one has priority. So again, in this case, I would think you, you want to make Ethernet the, the top dog here. So it's not fiddling around with any of the other interfaces. The other thing would be I would run network utility. So, so, so that may solve a problem on the computer itself. Now, network utility, my angle here is that you want to bring up the interface in question. So if you start up network utility, you get a, a list of your interfaces, bring up the Ethernet interface, and then just make sure in the uh, there's a transfer statistics window on the right uh, or sub window. And there's going to be send errors and receive errors. Those should be zero. If they're anything but zero, I would uh, you may have a bad cable or a bad Ethernet port. Uh, and then the third thing, of course, um, I've seen ports on routers, including uh, not Apple uh, specifically, but I have seen ports on routers die. They just give up, but the other ports are fine. And whether it got zapped or who knows, gremlins, um, try a different ethernet port. There could be problems there. And then the last thing I brought up here is just, but, but because it seems to fix itself with a restart, it made me suspect it may be a DHCP thing. Well, no, actually, I mean, he said it didn't happen in the past, so yeah, uh, I'll, I'll chuck that one. But uh, what I like to do to avoid DHCP headaches is to make DHCP reservations. I don't like things fighting over DHCP, which could cause. Yeah, um, but that's not going to cause. No, no, no. Yeah, I agree. I agree yeah, with the, then, the principle, though. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last thing, actually, this occurred to me, I didn't write it in the response here, but the last thing that I would try and, and th this is a tool that's very good for diagnosing potential hardware problems is hardware growler. And that if you do have a problem either with the network going up and down and up and down, um, it'll show you this because it'll show you when you either acquire or lose a uh, IP address as well as if it detects a hardware interface coming online or offline. Uh, 
So it'll be pretty obvious if a problem is in that area, you're going to see all these uh, uh, alerts, growl alerts saying, oh, interface is up, interface is down, address gone, address here. So those are the four that I could toss out, Dave, but there's certainly more, and I'm sure you have, uh, or another angle on, I, on how you would diagnose this. I do have another angle, only because it is so common that this happens, and in fact, you alluded to it in your in your ramp up to this, um, is that it's, you know, it's possible your cable modem, your cable line is bad, um, or intermittently bad, and, and so checking... You, what you're looking for is um, you, and, and you you said that Comcast looked uh, and checked everything, uh, Brent, but you can look and check everything, too, or at least there's some things you can look at. And that that is by going to one nine two dot one six eight dot one hundred dot one. You didn't say this already, right, John? I didn't I didn't space out and miss it. I didn't. I didn't touch on this because okay. I thought Comcast typically disables this. But no, no, no. Comcast no. disables oh. doc, d- disables uh, uh, different types of Doxis diagnosis, but you can you can certainly get to the web page. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, great. So yeah, one nine two dot one six eight dot one hundred dot one will on almost any cable modem bring you to a diagnostics page, and and we've talked about this before, and I got to write this article. Um, but uh, but what you're looking for is the downstream uh, power level and the upstream power level. There's a lot of other information here too, that is only tangentially relevant, but these are the two that really, really matter. Downstream power level should be zero. That's the best case scenario. It will, according to the DOCSIS standard, it, the, the cable modem has a tolerance from negative 15 dBmV to positive 15 dBmV. In practice, most cable modems, because they're mass-produced pieces of junk, uh, tend to work fine from about negative 10 to positive 10. So if you are at or near the negative 10 range or, or above, uh, or positive 10 range, you know, if you're outside of that range, uh, that will cause intermittent wacky problems, just like what, you know, John is, is talking about with, with his and potentially what Brent's got. On the upstream, uh, it's... Uh, there's a similar range upstream power is the amount of power that your cable modem needs to generate to get a signal cleanly up to the head end. And so uh, this number is going to be higher. The maximum again, according to the DOCSIS standard is 50 five zero DBMV. My experience cable modems, anything 45 and above, you're going to start having problems. So if you, if you can keep your upstream power level lower then 45 dBmV and your downstream power level. Again, downstream is the amount of power that you're getting from the cable company. So you want, you want it to be in the zero range, but sometimes it can be a little hot. Sometimes it can be a little cold. Uh, you want that between negative 10 and positive 10. That that's really important. And you can control this. We talked about it recently. So I'll, I'll briefly say this. You can control it with a splitter. Each splitter that you put in line affects these numbers by negative or by 3.5 dbmv it will a splitter will increase the necessary upstream power level so if you are at 40 let's say and you add a splitter it will make it 43 and a half so if you can take a splitter out it lowers your upstream power level on the downstream the splitter will uh decrease the will uh, let's see the splitter will increase adding a splitter will increase that number two i think 
I'm trying to think of this. No, it goes the other way. It will decrease the numbers. So, so you just got to be careful that you're not pushing yourself out of, uh, out of the range, but, um, but taking splitters out is typically a very, very good thing for, uh, for cable modem sanity. So the simple way to say that is push your cable modem as close to the end, end of the house is yeah. Right. Yeah. Easier said to, than yeah, done in many yeah, cases. Oh yeah. Years ago, I used to have my modem up on the third floor. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were two splitters in between there, and I had really crappy service. I finally I put it down in the basement, right where it comes into the house, yep. and put my put my uh, router down there, and yep. it's, it just all those problems went away. Changes everything. Yeah. Yep. So. Yep. It it it, it is. That yep. may be a possibility. Like you say, easier said than done. In some cases, people just can't do just can't. that. But right. Uh, right. Yeah. But you know, you could. It, you know, the the real problem is you want your your. Uh, wireless access point at a certain place in the house to get full coverage. Right. So that's the problem with putting the cable modem there is you need to also put your router yeah. with the cable modem, but with power line, you don't necessarily have to live like that. Oh, there's a thought. Yeah. You know, so you can use power line to get, or, or if you have ethernet in the walls, you know, to separate that, that functionality. You typically want the, if you're going to use power line though, you want the router Right at the cable modem, because you don't want to have the cable modem signal running over your power line, because then if you need it for other devices in the house, you can't use it that way. You want your router to be the thing that's plugged into power line so that it's got all the network goodness happening in the house. So that's all I have to add to that, John. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. It's sort of a wacky thing that restarting the cable modem helped. It may, it may be, very well be a bad Ethernet port somewhere in the in the chain. Got anything else to add before we uh, we'll throw a couple of of cool stuff finds in here? Nope, I'm uh, all right with that. All right, cool, man. Uh, let's see. He says uh, he Paul says I'm looking I'm looking somewhere here. Ah, yes, Paul says uh, cool stuff found with all the problems docking the iPhone five because of the new Lightning connector. I find the Jabra Cruiser in-car speaker is excellent. You can pair the iPhone to it via Bluetooth and take and receive calls. The quality and noise suppression is excellent. Plus, you can tune in the Jabra to play phone calls, music podcasts, etc. over the car stereo, all without the need to use the new lightning connector. The Jabra also has play, stop, forward, and reverse buttons that you can use to control your music and podcasts with. And, uh... And I don't have, I couldn't f- easily find a price for the Jabra Cruiser, but, uh, but I'm sure one is out there, but, uh, but so thank you. Thanks for that, Paul. Yeah. It's um, everybody that was plugging their iPhone. I think it's about 50 bucks. Everybody that was plugging their iPhone into their cars uh, now is in an interesting situation, but uh, I believe we had, uh, yeah, another cool stuff found from Michael who said, uh, I thought I'd let you know that, uh, The Apple 30 pin to lightning adapter works perfectly in my 2012 Audi A4. Audi has a cable in the glove box that connects to the iPhone or iPod uh, using the the 30 pin dock interface. Using the controls on the steering wheel, uh, one can use the music interface to select play, pause, skip ahead, etc. in a playlist or podcast. The interface also allows the use of a dress book for hands-free calling and answering. No other parts of the interface are available, i.e. Siri or calendar or other apps. Uh, the interface does have an audio, audio voice command for dialing phone numbers or using the nav system, but not through Siri. The bottom line is that the adapter works perfectly, and my iPhone 5 has exactly the same capabilities in my car that my iPhone 4 did. So that, thanks for that, Michael. That's uh, 
Everybody's got to go get a new Audi. Uh, yes, <laughs> that's I, I think that's the that's, that's right. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, so so there's uh, there's two solutions for using your your new or old iPhone uh, in the car. So, oh, and we got we got to have one more cool stuff found from Felix. Felix says, uh, "I love this one. When I don't have to read, when I don't have time to read an article, I use SoundGecko. SoundGecko automatically takes the body text from a URL, typically a news article, for example, and converts it to audio." Once registered and it's free, a link is then emailed to you. And also it can be added to your podcast feed and also to Dropbox. So yes, it's a robot reading the text, but it's great for those long commutes when I need to listen as opposed to uh, read. That's pretty cool. I'd never heard of sound gecko before. Had you had, had you stumbled onto that, John? No, that's why I love cool stuff found, man. We're going to start doing some cool stuff found posts on the website. We've been talking about different ways of doing it because it's very short form content uh, that doesn't really match our, you know, our typical article layout. But I, I'd love to get this stuff out there. So we're going to we're going to find a way from soundgecko.com. Bullheaded persistence will. Uh, well, I, I guess it will persist, won't it, John? Yeah. That's how we that's how we rock it here. You got anything else to add, John? Or is it time to uh, to see if we can find the band? Find the band. I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking. I want to mention mine as the band comes in. Yeah. That, oh, you that, got a cool stuff out. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, it's a really addictive game. Be careful. Oh, it's yeah. F, F-SIM shuttle is what it's called. I think it's four bucks. But uh, it's uh, flying the shuttle to the landing on your iPhone or your iPad. Uh, the big hint I have to that is zoom in on the HUD so you can read that flight director better. But I think it's like golf. Once you get that one perfect landing, you're like, oh, I got to do it again. You will spend hours, and the graphics on it are stunning. So you can replay your landing uh, from any view of the shuttle. Uh, you can, you know, use your finger, zoom it around, zoom in, zoom out, uh, nighttime, daytime, in the weather. It's really addictive game. Let me tell you what. Awesome, yeah, John. My shuttle learn. like a space shuttle. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. It is. It is so addictive. That's the worst part about it. I, I think I may have mentioned it in Cool Stuff Found a while back. I don't know. I certainly yeah. got addicted to it when when John Martellaro, he back in May, he wrote a review of it for us at TMO. And, and of course, he knows I'm a flight nut. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So so the, the 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 probably the best endorsement you can have of a flight sim game is from a pilot. Right. There you go. I mean, yeah. you're doing this for work and now you also want to do it. In your free time. Yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> That's I awesome. Actually, I was sitting next to a buddy of mine on the jump seat. We were going down to Memphis, and, and he had it. And I'm like, oh, cool. I want to download that and try it. So I did. <laughs> and uh, just, you know, about a blind squirrel, I, about my fifth landing, I got a perfect landing. And he'd had it for weeks and hadn't had one yet. He was cheesed. He's like, oh, man, how'd you do it? I, go, I have no idea yet, Bill. But it turns out that I had my HUD zoomed in really far so I could read the flight director and follow that. He was zoomed way out, and so he was having a much harder time. That's a good tip. I got to tell that to Martellaro, too. Yeah, yeah now I understand what you, when you mean when you're saying that. Yeah, zoom in on that flight director so that the only thing you see in your <laughs> screen is that HUD. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the, actually, the other tip I'll give: once once your diamond goes away, you've got your. It's called a velocity vector. Circle over that over that diamond. Once that diamond goes away at about a hundred feet, take your velocity vector and put it put the circle up just below the the horizon, just 
touching ball. Yeah, if you follow it all the way down, you're going to land hard or land short. But if you bring that thing up to just below the horizon, maybe the top of the circle touching the horizon, you've got the perfect descent rate. Ah, uh, tips from a pilot, folks. There you go. Ah, that's right. It's good to have you back, man. Yeah. Good to be back. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. I saw him put it on the uh, Intrepid. That was kind of neat to watch. Especially, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, especially the scale of crane that you need to lift a uh, shuttle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually, that's, yeah. Yeah, you just can't find one of those anywhere. And then right. driving it down the streets of Los Angeles last week. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty oh, yeah. intense. Yeah. Cutting down trees and yeah. moving power lines. <laughs> That's crazy. It's it's just, it's astounding the world we live in. Yeah, that's cool. The things that we can do now. I mean, you know, we just do stuff. stuff It's crazy. Grandparents couldn't imagine. Uh, uh, Yeah, I know. But but, I mean, case in point, what we're doing right here. There you go. We all take we all take for granted that this works. You and I are in a room. Okay, that's fine, Pete. But John's on Skype, so that that already that's magic. Right. You know, we're we're routing all of this audio through both digital and analog uh, things, and it all comes together in one file. We are now streaming that file to people in the chat room. And those people are all over the world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you and know, 20 and years ago, would it, if possible, would have been cost prohibitive because it was, you know, a buck fifty a minute to right. talk to somebody. Yeah. And what are, what are we paying to do this? So I paid well. for. I mean, we've got, you know, we've got, well, we've got thousands of dollars worth of audio gear, but that's just to make it sound better. That's not necessary. <laughs> so, you know, we've got nice cast, which I paid for, for the, you know, for the, the for the streaming. Um, you know, we're, we're probably, I mean, certainly if you put a $500 budget on what it takes to do this, you've got, you're good to go. You know, we, we're well over that in the sound equipment uh, that I have in front of me. Well, you also need a computer, right? So, so you know. You get a thousand. Yeah, right. You could do yeah. it with a MacBook. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy. You probably do with an iPad. Um, yeah. yeah, put that camera to USB, get the mic in. Yeah, I don't know how I would do this, the live stream on the iPad because oh, yeah, I can't yeah. route audio yeah. to another app. Yeah. But but otherwise, yeah, I mean, we're close. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Cool. All right. Now, where are we now that now that we're in? <laughs> Speaking of. Uh, yeah. Divergent. Yeah. No, that's good, though. That's that's why that's why we do this. Right. I mean, that's why, you know, we're, we're into this for not only for helping you, but also because it's it's fun for us. So um, and I think that I think that's part of what makes the show fun for for you is that we have fun doing it. So, um, what do we have to say here, John? We got to tell everybody how to find us and contact us. MacGeekUp.com is a good place to start, right? Not only you can you find the latest shows there, or you can find all the shows there. You can find the show notes there. So that's one place to start. The MacGeekUp iOS app is another place to start. Update coming very soon that will add the ability to listen to the live stream and participate in the chat. Which is pretty darn cool. Wow. Yep. Um, so that's that's coming. Can't wait for the typos on that. That'll be awesome. <laughs> well, the, the autocorrect. The as I as I love to or call auto- it in, in front of my kids, and you got to be very very careful about the way you say this. The ducking autocorrect, and that's what I refer to it as. <laughs> that uh-huh. ducking autocorrect. Say that three times. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, don't. <laughs> so there's the ducking autocorrect on that. That'll be fun. Um, and I'm not talking about audio ducking. Uh, so that's that's two ways to get in touch with us. John, what's another way to find us? Feedback at MacGeekab.com. Bet your, well, bottom dollar. 
feedback at MacGeekab.com. Feedback? Yes. At MacGeekab? That's right. That was, wait, feedback. I was waiting for you to take the baton there. Okay. <laughs> Just as long as it didn't feedback. No, feedback at MacGeekab.com. Sorry, I didn't feedback. mean to go there. Sorry, guys. Pete, Pete, Pete hasn't been here, but he's clearly been listening. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, of course, if you are a premium member... Uh, premium at MacGeekUp.com. And if you're not a premium member, you check should out, be. Yeah, check out all the options. MacGeekUp.com slash premium. We'll, we'll get you there and uh, and go through everything. Really helps you support the show, but it also gets you in the line for uh, the, uh, the the little premium gifts that we're going to uh, give out uh, at least annually, if not if not twice a year. You can earn toward those. And, of course, you have access to the premium at MacGeekUp.com address. For premium support. Uh, so that's that. You did that. We can call us 206-666-GEEK, which is... 4335. Four. <laughs> Simultaneous and in stereo. <laughs> Even though we record in mono, that felt like stereo to me. That was very nicely done, guys. Um, what else, John? Twitter. The Tell Twitters. about the Twitter. Yeah. The Twitters. The podcast is at Mac Geekab. I am at John F. Braun. He is at Pilot Pete. The other he is at Dave Hamilton. And of course, Mac Observer. That's the we. That's right. Facebook.com slash Mac Geekab. Great place if you want to join the live stream. We we do uh, it seems like we are going to continue um, bouncing back and forth between either doing it Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings. Uh, it changes it up a little bit for those of you that like to join the stream. Doesn't affect those of you that uh, tend to get the show uh, on, you know, Mondays uh, or, or, you know, whatever day you get it. Still keeps the recording on Sunday, so that consistency is there. But, uh, but it allows some of our UK friends the uh, opportunity to join us in the morning. And then some other folks in the evening. So uh, it will not be an even alternation. In fact, I think probably more often than not will be in the evenings. Uh, but uh, but we certainly are going to keep doing the morning shows uh, from time to time. I, we moved it to morning this week because I got to leave tomorrow uh, for uh, for this this San Jose um, day, you know, one day turnaround trip. And uh, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity to have the evening with my family tonight. So uh since I won't have the next three with them. So, so you're saying it has nothing to do with the Patriots game? I actually didn't have anything. The Patriots game I would have I probably watched before yeah, before we, we came tonight. But um, yeah, no, but it did a couple of weeks ago yeah. when it was the eight thirty game or whatever. It was like, all right, well this this is crazy. We gotta change this. Ain't gonna work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, morning is nice. I like morning too. Morning doesn't always work for, for John and I folks. Um, but uh, but you know, morning's good. So anyway, that's MacGeekUp.com slash stream. But the point is, if you follow us on Facebook, we post it as an event there that you can join. And then if the time does change, uh, you you know this and you can you can easily see it there. So we keep that up to date uh, with the calendar as well. So I think that's it. I think we're, we're good on this. Right, John? Time to. We are fantastic. We are fantastic. You're fantastic. <laughs> All right. Uh, we want to uh, thank Michael Johnston for converting this to AAC. He's from the We Have Communicators podcast. We would like to thank Cashfly for providing the bandwidth to uh, for all of you that download the show. And uh, Podcast Marketplace includes, of course, BB Edit from Barebone Software, PDF Pen for iPhone and iPad and Mac from Smile, and, of course, Gazelle, great place to sell off your old Apple hardware. Folks, have a fantastic week. 
I'm sure we'll have some things to say next Sunday about whatever Apple talks about on Tuesday and some lasting advice for you. I think perhaps the best advice we could ever give is, uh, you know, don't get caught. (laughs) 